3: Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
2: Hey guys, you ever wonder what Phil and I wear while we podcast? You can find out if you join our Patreon We'll also be talking about the films of 1989, but that's definitely less important than seeing our Zoom backgrounds, our headphone choices, and our sweatshirts.
0: It's true. It's true. You'll get to see all the various pieces of artwork that I have framed on my office wall, and you can see Kenny's garden, sort of. So that's something. That's exciting. It's a hanging garden. It's a hanging garden. Uh, But perhaps more important than anything, uh, we are doing this Patreon to cover the best films of 1989. Uh, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade ghostbusters 2 with amazing guests like tom meissen liz Hanna, joanna robinson brian cogman chuck hayward you can sign up at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989 and for five dollars you'll get access to all the audio of these fantastic episodes for a few bucks more you'll get video as well of our 99 and 89 episodes and perhaps most importantly you'll be supporting us uh so we can just keep making podcast content for you guys
2: And Welcome to Podcasts Like It's 1999, the podcast where we talk about the films of 1999, forming our own little thruple here in 2022. I'm one of your hosts, Kenny Nybart,
0: And I'm Gove,
2: And with us today is the legend, the man who does our artwork and our incredible theme. He's also a friend of Phil's from way back and has a lot of thoughts about him. Jan Katask, I know you've been on this before, but first time with me, that's what matters, obviously. Take that, Apple Reviews. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Kenny, I'm very happy to meet you. Excited to meet you, Phil, as a friend. It's great to see your face again. Uh, I was—I I did want to mention, though, uh, I as the, also the, the the musical composer of your theme song. The I've third always man. Sort of been a, I've always been offended when the the podcast starts and your guests never sort of reflect on how great the theme music is. And then I realize that's we're recording right now. You guys don't slate in with the theme song. I guess that gets edited in later. So. I would like to suggest to your producer you got to maybe add that in just to get the the you know the guests pumped up for the episode and
0: uh, well it, it's funny you bring that up because Kenny's a big fan of Screen drafts, which is a, a another yeah. podcast I, that we're, I was going to mention this too and they do play it and no, they don't it, they don't
2: I had the same feeling you no know, I mean it, I had the same feeling Jan did which was like. It does it's not pumped. really screen drafts without the <laughs> theme, which is the second best theme uh, in the pod game today. Um, it, I mean, I, you know, a little, I'll a little bit I'll of, a little bit of podcasting magic. Yeah. The first time we got our, our uh theme song on, mm-hmm. I had Ernie play it again, but yeah. I got to tell you guys, we didn't actually play it again. <laughs> I faked it.
0: <laughs> I That's remember true. that. Too. Yeah. It was do Run, the F- Run. That was the first episode we had it for. Yes, right. I
2: faked it. I pretended that I listened to it again, but I do uh, deeply love the theme, both themes. I love our both 89 themes. theme yes. and our 99 theme. Um, I know still doesn't like, you know, burdening, overburdening Jan, but I can't wait till he has to do his 2009 theme. Right. I'm really excited for a, like a 79 theme. <laughs> uh, that should be a, 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 an exciting one. The disco one will be good. The psychedelic one for 69 will be good. The yeah, uh I don't who who are we gonna what are we gonna do? We're gonna do like a tab hunter for like or not tab hunter, <laughs> we'll do like uh should, God, like Perry Como for fifty nine. That'll be fun. A <laughs> nice so a nice swing. The in, nine, though? Explain the nine.
1: I mean, I understand ninety-nine. I understand that the so eighty-nine, okay. But are we really going with all the nines now? Like, are we doing 99? No, I don't, I, don't think
2: so. <laughs> no, I mean, just,
1: just... silent movies of the uh 20. But, and...
2: but what I do like about the nines, yes, is you know, even before 99 uh turned over in 2000, we got to move, we got to switch all four numbers. Um, even in like uh, uh, Boogie Nights, I love that they had that you know, fulcrum point in that film yeah. happen. Uh, on the changeover from the 70s to the 80s. I do think for most of our lives, not anymore because we ruined it and we don't name decades anymore, but for most of our lives, this, the, the, our, our lives were really, really had these lines of demarcation with every decade. So it's fun for us to see what was happening at the end of that decade and see how it kind of, True. reflected back on the one that came and looked forward to the one that was about to come
1: Ken, i was i was not expecting such a
2: legitimate answer That's, uh,
1: <laughs> i mean it the, all the comes tr- back to 1999 i guess look
2: 99 was a coincidence but I, I as we've done this for four right. years mm-hmm. it really it a lot of this podcast is about 20th century versus 21st century about pre-911 versus post-911 pre-y2k versus post-y2k a lot of stuff like that i've really like you know Crystallized itself thematically uh, through the story. Well,
0: I would also say too, when Kenny and I decided that we were going to do a podcast about 1999, I remember specifically texting Kenny and being like, "What are we going to call this thing?" And without even like skipping a beat, he's like, "Obviously, podcast like it's 1999." Like you didn't didn't even think about it and I do feel like I don't know it's part of the brand to some degree so I don't know we'll, we'll, we'll just I, I would I would
1: say though yeah I mean I, and I do sort of buy Kenny's spiel there uh and so to go back to 89 <laughs> must have been interesting because it's kind of like going yes. back to our childhood 100%. but 2009 would be interesting I don't really know like the filmography of that year yep. but as you can sort of time travel when you go to 99 and obviously more so from 89 2009 is kind of like so close to home. It would be interesting to sort of evaluate all those movies in a row to sort of see like, okay, what what is 10 years ago? Or what is 12 years ago? Like how much has actually changed? You know, it's hard to podcast like it's 2019 would be so interesting and like not, not far enough away to understand Mm -hmm. what the relevance of 2019 was, you know? I totally
0: agree.
2: 2019 would not be a film podcast in my opinion. The, just because the um, I don't mean that in a bad way. I don't mean that there weren't great films, but we we crossed the Rubicon into theatrical films being like one of four things, and I think it would get real boring doing tent poles, Blumhouse, um, or you know, Oscar bait, and uh, that's all I can think of as a real. Well, two thousand and nine is Children's interesting.
0: Kenny Ken and I have talked about this because two thousand and nine is the first year when uh, the Academy expands. It's out, outside of five um it's it's sort of a post dark night year where everyone's sort of thinking about those movies being put in a echelon that perhaps is deserved or not Post well, dark Knight, but, and i think uh iron man is 08 too right correct correct
2: so the, i mean it's I, not that we would do 08 but it's interesting yeah. to see the way those two films yep. which are you know the alpha and omega for what, we're, what we've been doing the last 13 years yeah. Uh, had their immediate impact. In O9. I think 09 would be interesting, and I, I, I particularly too. because um, it's before Netflix uh, took over and changed, it just changed the way we watch movies. So that would be relevant to me as a human. I guess I've made the case that we go to 09 next, Phil. <laughs> not that anyone um, would give a shit, but you that's, know. That's,
0: that's not true. But um, we're here to talk about Splendor. Uh, a movie that. Sort of, oh, kind of, are we ever? Uh, that that I'm I'm curious. I mean, here's the thing. I remember when Jan and I talked about him coming on for this movie, which was quite a while ago, if I'm not mistaken. And I feel like part of the reason that that we wanted to talk about it, other than the fact that we're talking about all the movies of 1999, but um, the soundtrack is interesting. The moment is interesting. I think Gregor Raki is an interesting filmmaker. Um, and it it's it's just sort of for, first of all, it's a movie you can only see on YouTube. It's not even available for purchase or rental anywhere. I think it's actually on Movie or whatever that one's called. Is it on Movie? Yeah. Okay, cool. Well then, <laughs> then subscribe to Movie. Um but <laughs> but I,
2: I, I
0: <laughs> But I do think that that this movie does sort of live in a space that I kind of forgot about until I hit play on this movie. Like it it's this sort of Kind of, I mean, it's an indie film in the sense that Gregorakis is this independent filmmaker for the most part, but it's also trying to be sort of a populist rom-commy kind of thing. It's also sort of oddly meta at times, and. And doesn't really have much to say about anything, if I'm being completely honest. Like I I I i, I but I kind I, of liked it. I don't know, Kenny. Did you I, do you know Gregoraki's well, movies? You know, I was gonna say I have okay.
2: two kind of like thirty thousand foot yeah. questions for one is for Jan and one is for both of you. Mm-hmm. Uh the 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 Jan question is uh why Splendor? I want to hear the next question and then I'll answer that. The next question is the next question is a a very basic like, tell me, it's not a question, it's a demand. Tell me a bit about Greg Araki because uh, Greg Araki is a Canadian filmmaker, right? I don't think so. He's from Los Angeles. Uh, Greg Araki is a Los Angeles filmmaker. (laughs) But uh, the only movie I've ever seen of his was Happy Face. Interesting. Happy, there was a little moment with Happy Face um, yes, yes, and yes. it had Anna Faris and for whatever reason, it kind of hit me at that exact moment where I was <laughs> sitting at home watching everything that came out. So, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't think that movie's very good, but I don't know much about him. So, yeah. uh, I'm interested in, in in your guys' relationships to him uh-huh. and uh, why Splendor in particular, uh, Jan, was the movie okay. I wanted to come on for. Yeah. Yes.
1: Well, I... Uh, the, It just sort of occurred to me that... So, Splendor, to me, was a movie that I watched a couple of days ago. And it's a movie that maybe I saw 20 years ago, but I actually don't remember. And to be honest, I don't remember seeing it a couple of days ago. Like, that's kind of the impact (laughs) the movie kind of left on me. But it was sort of a hugely important movie uh, from 99 because of its soundtrack. Like, I remember... It was like a... That was an important... Not an important soundtrack... But it was on Astral Works, which was sort of at the time the sort of like the cool guy record label that would have, you know, Fat Boy Slim and Chemical Brothers, uh, but also sort of put out a bunch of shoegaze stuff in the early 90s. So it put out this amazing... So I think I probably only had the soundtrack of the movie. And that's, that's how I knew of it. And, you know, 99, of course, this is pre... Spotify and everything so you you know uh, to get a soundtrack that has like that's basically a compilation of all your favorite artists it's like that's good value you know I, I don't need to buy a for sure an album for like one song I got a whole bunch of stuff and and yeah. and, and it has like a, I mean we should go over the soundtrack later but it's like it's like a pretty impressive list and for the most part the soundtrack is actually remixes of popular sort of rock bands by like dance artists so you know there's mm-hmm. a, a mixture of Fatboy Slim and Chemical Brothers on there But there's also songs from like shoegaze bands like Lush and I think Slow Dive and Blur remixed by like Moby and stuff like that. So it's an interesting, uh, interesting soundtrack. So I I only remember this movie from its soundtrack and I do own the CD. Uh, In 99, I was actually working at a radio station. It was like an internet radio station and uh, record labels would send us... uh, uh, albums and i remember astral works is one of our one of the labels that would send us stuff to play and so i, I guess i got this cd i'm like this is awesome and it, it actually is a great soundtrack and it, it's funny because in the movie itself these songs are played for like 10 seconds not even like i don't know yeah, if you know there's, there's a lot of songs that rapidly yes. sort of get yes. played for like a second so i do think that this movie in some ways was like a vehicle for a soundtrack but it, i feel like i, I missed out on gregoraki Oh so Greg Rocky, why I didn't I I don't necessarily have a big thing with Greg Rocky, but I do know this this is not a great movie like I mean it's fine it's fun it's kind of a time capsule it's not a great movie but uh Greg Rocky's is better known for some earlier 90s movies there's there's three movies like I think they're called Teenage Apocalypse uh, starting oh. up with uh, totally fucked up yeah. doom generation and nowhere and uh, again totally fucked up was of the three the only kind of I guess Critically kind of good movie. (laughs) The other two, not so great. But he has an aesthetic. He has a style. He's kind of like a Kevin Smith of the early 90s, of of just having that like very like his own sort of
2: thing, you know, his own. The the movie, by the way, that I've seen is Smiley Face, not happy face.
0: Okay. Right. Um, I I mean, I think that Gregoraki is a really fascinating filmmaker because I do think that to Jan's point, uh, he has a very Um, specific visual style, right? Like, there's a vision here. Whether or not you're on board with it or not, like, he's fully committed to a look and a style um, that I do think is kind of all his own. I I don't, I can't, I, I can't think of anyone that's as sort of, you know, kind of infused by rave culture and that aesthetic. I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, very punchy colors, uh, very sort of overproduced uh, sort of production design. It all feels very heightened and surreal. And I think all of that works to his benefit in those earlier films that you mentioned, Jan, where he's going full tilt, like just kind of insane. Whereas with this, it's sort of at odds with itself a little bit, where you're just like, you're trying to tell a relatively grounded romantic comedy about these three characters. Meanwhile, they're like having dinner and there's projections of themselves behind them for reasons that are sort of, you know, hard to explain.
2: The projections were a weird flex, but... But do you think in, those
1: projections were meant to be a part of that restaurant? Like can you imagine That's what I couldn't tell. That'd
2: that be kind of interesting. It, it's the only time that they, they he did something like that and yeah, uh, I think yeah. it might I think it's actually fair to Well explain uh, that scene
1: for people who haven't like just it is a very specific moment in the movie. It's like They're at their di- their first date, correct?
3: I believe it's, it, it's a it, yeah, date. It's yeah. Kathleen
2: Robertson and Jonathan Shay Sayak, I, I
1: nailed
3: sure. that. You killed
2: it. Uh and yeah, They're at their first date, and he's yes. let's talk about Splendor in a minute because I, I'm still kind of on this yes, great yes, Rocky yes. thing because yes. yeah, I everything yeah. you guys are saying is very interesting to me because yeah. the 90s that I we, we we all lived through the 90s, and we all you know, the, the cool thing about the 90s were uh, among, among a, a bunch of different things was uh, musically there, there was such an incredible breadth. Of what was available to you uh, from MTV, from the mainstream, you know, rate from mainstream radio and things like that, and then even just like half a step below the surface, there was another whole, you know, massive amount of stuff that was available to you that was so different from each other. So when you look at '90s movies, you know, there was obviously a lot of mainstream rock. There was always going to be a lot of mainstream rock and a lot of mainstream pop. There was a lot of hip hop and a lot of rap. But uh, I never saw never really saw a rave in a mainstream film until go. And that was about four or five, six or seven years after rave culture had kind of like you know, kind Left. of kind yeah. of yeah. crested. I mean, it was yeah. still around but it was like kind of done. And by 99 uh, shoegaze had kind of, you know, a lot of these rave kids had calmed down and started taking different drugs. <laughs> and, sh- and shoegaze had kind of, you know, poked his head back up right like the second run of shoegaze had kind of come back and i feel like Greg gregoraki based on what you guys are saying based on what is on splendor because this reminds me more of a of a 99 that a lot of movies we did like for instance one that jumped to mind watching it was the mod squad which felt like a fucking hellscape which felt it felt like it felt like the it felt like the the, the production designer the sound designer had been listening to like pod and was like that's what we do now um <laughs> this this movie felt a lot more like what normal people were doing at the time not it feels the very sexual specific. politics of it sure but the but the 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 going out of it the socializing of it the culture of it this uh this felt like it like almost, almost like a like an like like the the song of an unspoken minority mm-hmm. of people who were interested in music and culture. So I, I, I liked that, and uh, it's a nice counter to a lot of the kind of stuff we were doing that we're trying that we've been watching and analyzing that have been trying to capture the zeitgeist and just failing.
0: Well, I think that what you're what you're hitting on, and I totally agree with you there's a specificity to Greg Araki's world vision or however you want to call it. Like, I I do think that it's narrow. It's why this film made a whopping $284,000 worldwide. I mean, this movie did not do anything. Um, But I do think that... It is hitting something, and I think it's part of what Jan was talking about as well, like owning the soundtrack, like this existed in a universe that was very real um and and very specific. And I think that that makes it, you know, special. I think that that makes it interesting, but it also makes it, I think, you know, somewhat i want to say alienating i guess on a certain level as well
1: I and mean, i kind of think um, the opposite yeah. <clears throat> I, I wish it was more alienating like I, I think some of his no but some of his, his other, like, f-
0: other films are like, more alien
1: generation and stuff are like so like ultra violent or sexual or whatever yes. like this seems so like too many studio notes and too normcore and very watered down like this movie is rated r why why is this movie right like there's the this threesome? could have been i don't know just there's nothing yeah. there's no nudity there's nothing in. i this, agree like, there's nothing like risque about this movie. And, and so for a movie that's basically about a, a threesome couple, I mean, there's nothing edgy about this movie. And I don't know well, if it was supposed to feel any more edgy in 1999, but I mean,
2: it might've, I will yeah. ride for, I'll ride for the MPAA here. Yeah. No, <laughs> uh, no, I think, I mean, I, I, I won't ride for them. I understand why it was rated R. I think that they, this is, this is kind of your classic quote unquote adult situation that they always give R's to. Um, and maybe, maybe in the, yeah, maybe in the last couple of years they may not have, they might, they might not, but up until like Love, Simon, I think K themes meant R at, uh, queer themes meant R at, at any point in our history, basically.
1: I mean, this is like the, the least queer Greg <laughs> Rocky movie, I think. And in fact, it doesn't even 100%. really go into queerness. It's like, they make it quite clear that in this threesome couple, the guys don't like, you know, touch each yep. other. Yeah, so Yep. yep. Um, it's not. It, it, no, it's not. It's. It's certainly. Which. I, I, which, don't, which don't, to be, be honest. Right there, that could, would have made it a more interesting story. Phil, you should roll us on the storyline. I feel like we always wait yeah, too long Let me let, me let me give the
0: synopsis very quickly But uh, <clears throat> An average, calm, mid-twenties girl named Veronica restarts her dead dating life all of a sudden but with two guys, a sensitive field writer named Abel and an airhead drummer named Zed At first she despairs, then she finds a way to date both without them finding out, then she tells both of them Splendor opened on September 17th, 1999 against Blue Streak for Love of the Game, The Sixth Sense, and Stigmata as I mentioned it made $284,000 worldwide Uh, it has 58% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics 63 from audiences Uh, Roger Ebert did not review this film so we don't have his review but uh, a bunch of people did Variety stated that though less violent and macabre than all of Iraqi's previous movies Splendor is not exactly fresh nor a radical point of departure a seductively sensual picture that entices while it lasts but evaporates like an air bubble as soon as it's over I think that's but I think we all pretty oh, yeah. much agree with that review. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I want to sort of say, uh, Kenny, to, to, to your sort of um, earlier thing on the Gregoraki, because I do think it's worth pointing out, and it's also what Jan said, that, that this film is not weird. Like, Gregoraki's previous films are a lot stranger. I mean, there's a character in Nowhere that turns into a giant bug, if I'm not mistaken. Like, these movies are far more surreal, far odder, far just stranger, and I think this film could have stood to have a little bit more of that juice in it. It does, to your point, yawn feel pretty straight, and I don't mean that as a pun. Like it's just a straight line. <clears throat> it's not really doing anything particularly, um, you know, interesting on a story level. Uh, but but you know, mysterious skin, which I don't know if if you guys have seen that film, which was the film that sort of put Joseph Gordon-Levitt into a new oh, right. category. Um, certainly made him more of an indie darling. He did Brick shortly thereafter, but um, is a really interesting film. I think that Gregoraki, you know, Jan and I were texting about him yesterday. Like, the guy's 61 years old, which I honestly can't believe. He feels like he's 25, frozen in my mind. Um you know, he made a film. He made a film, a show for stars. I think it was two or three years ago called Now Apocalypse, which I think was six or ten episode, half hours.
4: Yeah. Okay,
0: um, which, which again, like, didn't really make much of an impact. But I do think that the guy. I mean, he did a pilot in two thousand, which didn't go to series for MTV, which Jan and I fast forwarded through on YouTube yesterday, which is a real time capsule of, of late 90s, early 2000s.
1: Yeah, that was called This Is How the World Ends. And it's actually yeah. a,
0: a, an MTV pilot that was
1: much more edgy than this movie, I thought. like, even, yeah. And it was like very 2000, very 1999.
0: Yeah, era. starring the guy from Roswell, if I'm not mistaken. I think he was one of the oh, yeah. aliens from Roswell. But, I mean, ultimately, I, I think what I'm sort of circling here, and I think it's kind of what you were said earlier, Kenny, as well, like, I don't feel like I missed out on Greg Araki necessarily, but I also feel like either A, he didn't really know how to hit a vein, or B, Hollywood didn't really know what to do with him. But, like, something got away from him, and he never really totally clicked.
2: I'd love but to, to think- watch the good films that he did. <laughs> <laughs> like what This what this yes. is, yeah. this and, and Smiley Face, which, you know, is basically Anna Faris being high for a day yeah. and hallucinating all day. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty bad and small, and I kind of, you know, hated it. Uh, but I would his quote unquote good films, his the, the trilogy you mentioned, sound really interesting to me. Mm-hmm. The thing that I unfortunately can't kind of get over is how it essential it all feels. Yeah, um, that's totally fair, and that's on and that's uh not a great thing for an indie director, you know. So many indie, indie directors should feel like essential, they should feel like little pieces or in indie films, great indie films, should feel like little pieces of a puzzle that you're putting together, um, that you didn't know you need. Needed, and that's not how this feels. But I do really want to check out the. Uh, the...
0: I would I would recommend uh, Doom Generation, which I saw back in the day. I never saw was Rose was McGowan, and uh, yeah, Rose McGowan. And it's like they're they're essentially kind of it's got kind of a like Bonnie and Clyde vibe. I think there's also a a trifecta threesome situation in that too, but it's much more sort of like, I believe they're bank robbers or terrorists or something along those lines. There's just a little bit more, you know, it's just, it's got something to say. Um, it's 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 a it's a cool movie, and she's she's fucking awesome in it. But
1: you know. I mean, music always plays an important role in Greg Gregoraki yeah. movies, and you know, Doom Generation because uh, it was this sort of like darker, more violent sort of tone had more of an industrial kind of like Nine Inch Nails, Susie and the Banshees. Mm-hmm. But I mean, he's very particular with music that goes into into these movies. Uh, And so clearly it's like, I know he's like a music guy, like another YouTube video that Phil and I shared with each other or sorry, I shared with him was uh, I guess Amoeba records in LA has a, you know, what's in the bag, you know, where they interviewed people in the store. And it's like, what are you shopping for in Amoeba today? And uh, so it was like a Greg Iraqi one from, I don't know, early two thousands. And you know, he's like literally like had like a shopping list of like CDs that he was going after and um and he was talking about he was like obsessed and again I, I forget it must have been like early 2000s, but he was obsessed with um c d singles. remember c d singles and sometimes sure. they were come in, like the little cardboard sleeve and yep. I, I remember they're like more popular in like England where you get them for like a pound and you know whatever mm-hmm. they were they were sold at the h m b there but uh you know he he, had, he he was like going through amoeba looking for c d singles, and he was obsessed with like remixes and uh, weird b sides and stuff like that. Um, in the Amoeba YouTube a, thing, he mentioned like Slow Dive, he mentioned uh, My Bloody Valentine. I mean, that, that that was his sort of like essential era of music, I suppose. Uh, but he certainly was like somehow like remained sort of contemporary with, with music throughout his movies and sort of evolved. So I think to me, like 99, hearing like Lush and Slow Dive and My Bloody Valentine. That that's like throwback already even for 99. That,
2: to that to that first run of, of shoe yeah.
0: games, yeah. it is. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah. can I this is a question for for you on and obviously for you as well, Kenny. But like there's something about remixes that feel that's always felt a little strange to me, right? Like, first of all, isn't it it, it is cheaper to to quote unquote buy the remix for soundtracks as well, right? Like you would find that there'd be like a remix version of the song. On a soundtrack, as opposed to sometimes the the radio single.
2: There's something about so remixes. I don't know if that, it's yeah. cheaper to buy the remix. I think you're talking about a cover. No, i,
1: I don't, think you're I don't, talking I don't about li- li- licensing a song. I mean, for example, this like soundtrack had you know like "Beatlebum" by Blur, which at the time was yeah. like a new song, but they had the the remixed version by Moby which again, it's like on paper, that sounds even more impressive, but it's not like you, you're not, you don't get the yeah. impact of using right. the song Beetlebum in the movie. And in fact, the time they do play the Beetlebum remix, <laughs> I mean, you, you wouldn't even know it was Blur <laughs> because happening. they don't play any of the vocals. Yeah. It's just like two seconds of like an instrumental portion of that song. Right. So um, I, 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 I kind of thought the same thing, but I actually think it's Greg, Greg Rocky, like, enjoys those kind of like b-sides and deep dives into music more i I think that's more interesting to him so um yeah i mean just to go over the soundtrack really quickly um i I just wanted to like sort of name drop some of the artists there's like a slow dive song remixed by locust um suede has the chemistry between us remixed by Lion rock there's a lush song, uh, Sweetness and Light, that's remixed by My Bloody Valentine. So again, on paper, I mean, this looks like yeah. an incredible soundtrack. Chapter House, there's the Blur Remix. Um, and then there's some of the contemporary songs of that sort of year, uh, Fat Boy Slim, "Show Up, which I think appeared in a bunch of movies that year. And uh, it Airs, Kelly "Watch the Stars. Um, there's some Head, Chemical Brothers. I mean, it's, and then of course, at the very end, uh, Bizarre Love Triangle by New Order, which is like the exact same beat I think, in the movie Threesome, which came out like 10 years before of it. Correct. But, Correct. You know.
0: Can I also just say, though, and this is a, this says something to it, you can't buy this soundtrack. Like, the only way you can buy this soundtrack now or stream the soundtrack, hear this soundtrack, is by buying a used CD somewhere. Like, it's so, it's not even possible. I I can't find it on streaming services,
1: but I, I was curious, and I looked it up. It, like, appears on, like, Kmart and Walmart websites, so you can still buy a physical <laughs> copy of this CD.
0: Wow. Perfect. Which
1: is perfect. Which is how Greg Araki would want it, I think. So, yeah.
0: By the way, honestly, quite possibly how he wants you to buy it. Yeah. I mean, I remember, I vividly remember you owning this soundtrack, Jan, and playing it for me back in the day. Like, I do remember this was an interesting soundtrack that did make, I mean, certainly made an impact on you, but it does feel like he was trying to do something. He was trying to kind of flex the soundtrack thing in a different direction, which I think is interesting.
2: You're not wrong.
1: He yeah, made a, I mean, made a movie certain,
2: in order to make a mixtape.
1: Apparently, I <laughs> mean, so so he was a writer and director of this movie, and I, and I think yeah. a lot of a lot of the sort of recurring comment that I see on comment threads about any sort of Iraqi thing is it's like the aesthetics are so important, and the the music and the visual aesthetics are his thing, and maybe writing and directing is not his thing. You know what I mean? But his movies yeah. have an aesthetic, and that is consistent throughout everyone. And not every director has like an aesthetic where you can look at it. It's something. It looks like a Gregoraki movie. It's not a very good movie, but it looks like a Gregoraki movie.
2: Can I also say? Guys,
1: uh,
0: sorry, Greg, okay.
2: sorry. This is totally yeah. a tangent. You guys did the soundtrack episode. I didn't listen. I don't listen to our podcast. Um, did you guys rank your soundtracks? Of, we we did didn't we i think we did Yarn. probably yeah
0: yeah what were
2: I, what were your favorite what was your favorite
0: i know that i'm trying to think of you know what i can pull up my uh, my document. i know i'm gonna, trying moment. to pull gonna up my pull up. document.
2: and we're talking so we're talking soundtrack not score
0: i assume yes no yeah we were talking soundtracks let's like pull it up because I, I definitely i think we mine, definitely ranked them.
2: mine was definitely Go. I listened to Go uh, nonstop and every song on that over and over again because I remember I was obsessed with the movie. Saw it twice in a row. And now I hate it.
0: Um, you didn't hate it. You didn't, we, I, we both liked the first chapter. I just,
2: I just, I, I think I just hate my younger self, Phil. Um, but. What what were your guys' favorite uh, soundtracks? And did this did this come are up? Are we the talking soundtrack about ninety nine
0: or the nineties? No, 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 ninety nine.
2: Oh. But but what, did this come up in the soundtrack episode? Like, was this something that was front of my It Definitely mind for you came guys?
0: up. Yon definitely brought this up on the soundtrack episode. I, I know that the ones that jumped out for me that I kind of hit relatively cruel intentions. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Go Magnolia. Those were sort of the big uh, Magnolia. Ones for me. I think
2: is my number one. But that's
1: but but kind I think that Yon definitely
0: talked about this. If I'm not mistaken, right? Yon, you must have.
1: I don't remember doing a specific '99 soundtrack episode. I kind of yeah. remember. I think. I think to make it easier on us, we just said the '90s, and I think we just talked about like singles and train spotting and the good. Soundtracks we talked about
0: 90s. '90s soundtracks, and right. then, but the 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 lanes into it was to talk about a couple of them from '99. Sure. Cruel Intentions being a big. Cruel one. Cruel Intentions is. Um, but but I do think that and I. I I wanted the movie that I thought of a lot as I was watching this, and I'm curious what you guys think of this. Oh, I have uh, a '99
1: oh, okay. Twin City movie as well. No, I, I got it. I was excited because there was there was one movie that that felt like this movie from '99. But yeah. it was yours from '99 as well?
0: No, but oh, what's okay. what's yours from '99?
1: No, I'm sorry. You, you no, no, I was <laughs> just going
0: I was just gonna say, uh, "Chasing Amy" was a movie that definitely came to mind for me, which was. And, and the reason I kind of equate these two is obviously there's the sexual component of, of both of these films, but it also felt like both these filmmakers were trying to find the populace a little bit. They were trying to sort of, I don't want to say legitimize themselves, but I certainly feel like they were trying to kind of shrug off some of the, you know, pastiche and things that are kind of attached to them. Like, I feel like both of these films were trying to be... Um, grounded. We're trying to be character pieces. Yeah, I think from char- par- from filmmakers that I don't necessarily associate with that.
1: So Kathleen Robertson, who is, she is Canadian and she, she was Canadian. the lead uh in this movie. And I, I thought she was like really like compelling, I thought she was, and, like, yeah. she was yeah. really good. Yeah. But she was, she had just come off of like a big run of 90210. Like she was uh Steve Saunders' girlfriend or whatever. She she was kind of became like a, a mainstay character on uh, Beverly Hills 90210. So I feel like this must have probably been her, like, what was supposed to maybe be her breakout role. You know, I feel like this was, like, a vehicle for her to sort of get to that next level. And I don't I don't think maybe it wasn't effective. I don't know. She, but she's always
2: I, been, for, for 30 years, she's always been, like, right there. <laughs> uh, like, yeah. right, like, if, like, if, like, Hollywood is a big you know, uh, archery target. She's kind of been right there on the outer rug, right? And <laughs> yeah. she's always been in the same kind of spot. And I feel like Hollywood's always tried to push her into the middle because she is talented, and she is gorgeous, and she is intelligent, and she is, you know, kind of willing to go anywhere. And for whatever reason, it never really worked, but also never really destroyed her.
0: Well, I'm. I thought she was, to, to Jan's point, and both of your points, I thought she was quite good in this. I found her quite endearing and very watchable and very charming. Um, she was dating Gregor Araki at the time, who right. um, has sort of made it clear that he's sort of sexually fluid, um, but, but now defines himself as gay for what that's worth. But I do think that that speaks to this film as well, right? Like I do think that there's something he's channeling a little bit in terms of his affections, not just for her, but sort of like questioning his own sexual identity and what have you that I do think is a part of this film. I just don't know that he necessarily digs beneath the surface of it. I think he's just it, sort of like, you know, there
1: You know, one, one, uh, so Kenny, who doesn't listen to the show, but I, who I, I actually do listen to the show, Kenny, and I a couple of Oh, thank ago, you so much. Yeah, thanks. You no, know, because there's one thing that sort of stuck in my mind uh, yeah. as I was listening a few episodes ago. I think it, did you guys do "Message in a Bottle" or something? We did. Yeah, yeah, yeah of yeah, course. Just, that's good. Yeah. And I remember uh, Kenny was mentioning the sort of classic. Like 99 trope of the oversexed best female friend, you know. And this oh is like, yeah, okay. <laughs> this has that for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. We, You know, again, it's the girl who's in the threesome, and yet she still has the oversexed friend who's yeah. the, you know.
2: <laughs> Bill, you know, it's so. You know, it's so weird, dude. We've been watching uh, all these Razzie films for yeah, the screen, yeah, for draft, screen draft we're about to do. Yeah. yeah. And when you said the trope of the oversexed best friend. My mind didn't go to uh, <laughs> message it, in in K- a bottle. it. Didn't go to me- it. Didn't go to message in a bottle. It didn't go to the one from this one, who was Kelly McDonald, <laughs> McDonald played yeah, the yeah. played the over best over well, sex that's best what I'm friend. Saying. She was, the best was a friend. who's a very good actress, and She's is great. so unwatchable in this film, in my opinion. Right? Oh yeah. Uh, and it's just a horrible character. Yes. No internal life. Only like she's like a scold and a nag, and she's par- <laughs> she's it, she's it's a very bad part. No, yeah. it, Phil, it went to Alex Borstein in Catwoman, so <laughs> that's where I am right now. <laughs> who is the who is who is a a a, a hypercharged oversex best friend in Ugh, Catwoman? That yeah, that. But, movie, uh yeah. yes, uh, yeah. No, it's the true. Point is, yeah. this never yeah. stops. It, it never doesn't. stops. It's for some reason like what. I not necessarily even male filmmakers filmmakers at large think a best friend is yeah. the, well, person goes, the person who tells you to go get a little strange on the side it's like
0: yeah you need I also just, I, it, it needs to be said too that that i like some confusion about veronica's character because like she's sort of this like quote-unquote good girl who seems like she hasn't been dating and and but is also like Fucking guys in bathroom stalls and doing. She, hadn't had, she
2: hadn't had sex in six years. Oh, yeah. That was interesting because yeah, I'm just like, she, I don't really understand point, what's going on.
1: At one point, it was like mentioned that she was like 22. And then uh, uh, the train spotting friend right. was like, You've been dry. Like, you've been on a dry spell since 93. So I'm like, yeah. You've been dry since you were like 14. This is so <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah, I that, know. I just, it's strange.
2: Yeah, that, that was.
1: It was like a weird line to sort of mention both that she was 22. Yep. I mean, I'm sure it was I a totally joke that she was in a, had a dry spell since 93. But then I kind of did the math and I'm like, well, that's, that's... I almost feel like the character, the fact that they mentioned that she's 22 felt like she was like, well, too young to make this an interesting character. And, and I mean that in that like... Yes, yes. I don't know. I, I feel like this character that was too young to maybe potentially get married... And too young to have had the experience of realizing I'm so bored in my life that I need to have this, like, you know, my cake and eat it to threesome situation. I don't know. Like, I just feel like even if she's like 25 or something, this this sort of storyline sort of makes more sense. Uh, and, and I think that... Um, uh, Kathleen Robertson was like 26 when they filmed this movie so she didn't like necessarily like appear to be a 22 year old either it was a weird thing that they wrote into the script for some reason
2: so that's an interesting little
1: especially because she's supposed to have such a grown up job and it's like I don't think 22 year olds have like the grown up job that she did
2: it's an interesting thing that we've you know also obviously noticed in 99 uh, versus today people in their 20s were expected to act the way I think people in their 30s or maybe even 40s do now Um, you know you're supposed to you know kind of graduate college and go right into uh, the reality of dating and being a grown up, whereas we've just kind of accepted as a culture at least you know the uh, you know kind of white establishment is as accepted as a culture that twenties are for for upper class white kids time to figure it out so um it's the who, like
0: reality bites sort of thing right of yeah, like this this we, like yes and, yeah. and and just nowadays, graduated. and- Yeah,
2: And I I don't mean there are obviously a million fucking, you know, socioeconomic and cultural reasons why this is the case. But nowadays, you know, the majority of college graduates move home and have this extended period of uh, figuring it out, which, you know, not their fault. Um, But I think it would be interesting to do a movie like this today. I think it would be interesting to act to, to, to not have a 22, 23 year old act as a grown up child. Um, who's obsessed with childish things and acting like a child and someone who is actually like earnestly trying to make it and experience new things in an unfamiliar place. Um, I do think that the flattening out of culture uh, that the internet has has bequeathed us uh, has kind of destroyed these little niches of people or niches of people who are trying to um, do it differently, figuring it out.
1: So what are you saying? Because I think like a show like Girls did that really well, where it showed like young people, how young people really live. And the whole joke was comparing it to like 99's version of young people in Sex and the City or whatever. where It's like so unrealistic. Is that what you mean? Or are you saying we need a representation of someone who's 22, who isn't just like a bum at home or whatever, living at their parents? Girls is the best. yeah, yeah. I, have a,
2: I, I Yeah, no, I, I love Girls. Uh, girls is a lot closer to uh, the modern version, which is great and fine. And they were the first through the through the gate, and uh, you know, really captured the the zeitgeist of the moment and the way kids lived seven eight years ago. Kids, yeah, I mean, I'm calling them twenty somethings lived. Uh, I'm talking about like someone who doesn't really exist on the landscape right now, um, right, on, the, okay. on, on the media landscape right now, right. but undoubtedly exists in the world. You know, undoubtedly there are this is, I, this sounds so privileged and stupid without quite. This is real that there are people who graduate college who don't go and live at home, who have to go and figure out their lives and every aspect of their lives. And we don't see that on television almost ever now, because that's true. you know, and, the, and there's a reason for this. Like television is written by millionaires who uh, who have their twenty somethings living at home, and that's what they see. True.
0: And well, they I assume would, that mean,
2: they, they assume that their experience uh, is is anachronistic for you know today's society.
0: Well, I, I mean, that I might not be personally the personally right speaking. You know, I've definitely, I mean, I have I have pitched many shows that take place in this 20 something period that you're talking about kenny and the pushback that i get in general tends to be the problem is that high school is where your firsts are and things are always very exciting in high school and, and then when and you're high school out hasn't of
2: changed pop- that much
0: right right the but technology's changed and the have changed
2: but the life experiences and the evolution right. of you know the rights of child passage to, and what have you. Yes, to yes. adolescent to adult, it hasn't really changed. Sorry, folks, go ahead.
0: So, so there's a part of me that's just like, feels like the networks want to ignore your 20s because the stakes aren't as high because it feels as though you're in this sort of quote-unquote quarter-life crisis of trying to figure out who you want to be and they find that less stakesy. So they want to skip ahead to when real life hits you and you become... Now, I don't agree with this notion. I think that that's absurd. I think there's lots of things that happen in your 20s that are very interesting. But I think that's what you're kind of hitting on, Kenny, which is this, this the, fear of the, the 20s the, to talk about.
2: The counterpoint is um, a show like Made, which make, which is great. I'm not knocking Made, but makes everything so heightened and so existential that that is something that you know a small percentage of the population can relate to that exact experience. The ex- A large percentage of the population has...
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss.
2: Somewhere between one month and one year before they are doomed. (laughs) And there's something about that experience. Not that I'm doomed, because Margaret Wally on that show is doomed tomorrow. Right? Like, she is doomed yesterday. But, this idea of, like, you know, paycheck to paycheck, more or less, have to watch everything, but I am not about to starve is yeah. is an interesting milieu that we yeah. that used to be everything about the twenties. That used to be every movie and every TV show about your twenties, and now there's this like you know again because uh, I, TV's written by millionaires, people who don't uh, do, who, who don't believe that this experience exists anymore, or at least don't have any kind of you know approximation to it, and uh, it's just it's largely ignored. It is what it is. It's it, it, you know, it, Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, I have don't one more point, in. Phil. I have one more annoying point, and I will move on. Okay. <laughs> this is great, by the way. The, and
1: the, it, it is incredibly thought provoking like. I mean, there's like obviously, uh, the economics of being in your 20s today is not what it was in the 90s. You know, like mm-hmm. you know the even the late 90s, the outlandish apartments that Felicity, Phil, and I would always joke about. Like, how do how do people like afford these apartments and stuff? But because you could back then, because you could just have more space. The rent was cheaper. I mean, there is a difference. And I mean, I think that's it. But I think what you're saying is like, well, people can still be 22 and have a good job. And like there's there's a hustle in life and it's maybe a bit faster or whatever. But that that still exists. And And no Yeah.
2: uh, yeah. And, you know, no one wants to set a show outside of the five major cities in this country either. So. It's like, or, you know, or you're going real world. You're going like you're making a point about some right, other part right. of the country. Small but no one town. wants to set a show in Minnesota. What was it's your last point? I cut you up,
1: Kenny. You no, the,
2: the last point is, you know, to, to really bring it full circle. I keep harping on the idea that TV is written by millionaires. And right. the thing that we are missing now is this. There is no DIY in TV. It doesn't exist. Right. There is no way for a Gregor there, there is a one in a thousand chance, a one in 10,000 chance that a guy like Greg Iraqi can produce something independently that becomes a television show. And even when it becomes a television show, it's a television show, for instance, like Now Apocalypse, that's on a Lionsgate-owned property that is, you know, instilling all of the, you know, all of the trappings of a major studio project. So there's no such, like, a, Gregoraki, an independent film, has final probably has something close to final cut. Probably does have final cut, and probably has total creative control to tell the story of his life. Uh, and doesn't you know? Even the even that even though he was an established filmmaker, there's no way he had a lot of money at that point. There's no way that he was living some kind of you know high horse life. He was telling the story that a story that was familiar to him. But the fact that there's nothing, there's nothing like independent film in what is now the dominant media is destructive when it Mm. comes to telling stories about the breadth of people in this world. And it's, you know, we're doing better when it comes to diverse experiences a little bit, but diversity, you know, really does go beyond what you look like. And I think telling story, I think allowing people who don't live in Hollywood, who aren't on overall deals, who aren't, you know, people who've been like kind of, plucked from juilliard from or, or wherever uh you columbia etc cetera, etc cetera, from when they were young people to, to to go out take a movie camera in their set and figure out a story that you know is reminiscent of what they're living at the time is a problem and this is why to some extent people are so excited about foreign television because it's closer to that mm. You know, this is why I, yeah. we see so much so much Spanish-language television, Israeli television, Asian television. I all, wonder if all... Iraqi
1: was trying to make a point of making this movie. So so this movie had already existed several times in the 90s. I mean, we had like a reality by sure. s- singles with threesome. I mean, this type of movie had existed so many times. But all those movies were like early 90s, you know? and this was late 90s and i wonder if even then like cuz i'm like what it seems so like redundant this movie like did we need this movie you know at the time but i wonder if at the time he's thinking like i i need to represent you know the the youth of 1999 because those movies from like 93 didn't quite get it or something like i wonder I if there was enough distance happened
0: I think there is something to that. I know that in a lot of interviews, uh, Araki said that he was actually trying to make an homage to screwball comedies of the 40s and 50s. Yeah. I mean, I can I, sure. I, I mean, mean I, the overacting. <laughs> the
1: overacting obviously is like yeah,
0: yeah. There was, the, it's, very was broad. Yes. it's very intentional. It's very intentional. Sure. I mean, I I think that specifically with uh, Zed and Abel's characters, which are I mean, particularly very Abel. broadly written.
2: You mean... To- Say, say plays a pretty good villain and a pretty good asshole, but like yeah. uh sweet nice guy is he he doesn't yeah. even know how to channel that
0: he doesn't yeah he felt like a bad version of noel from from Felicity in a lot of ways like it just it 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 did not it oh, it didn't work this this brings me
1: back actually to what my like twin city movie was from ninety nine so i I didn't get to mention it yeah, before, yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. this is a, here's a good segue. So to me, kind of like maybe what you're explaining is there's like so much exposition just to understand who these characters are because they don't really emote anything. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just talk really loud. And did you notice that there's no movement in this movie? They're always just like seated somewhere with a weird set piece behind them and they're just discussing yes. something.
3: So Very phantom, phantom
1: menace, <laughs> Phantom Menace was my uh, this felt like Phantom Menace where there's just like Everyone needs to be explained as to what their job is and uh, they just have, they take a seat on a couch and have a dialogue together. And that's like every scene. Like even at the quote unquote rave, uh, which is a little bit cheesy at the beginning of the movie. They're just standing because they're like slam dancing, but the one person has the car. They're just standing there. There's nothing happening. There's no movement
0: anywhere. Well, it's it's interesting you say that because I mean not not to uh, belabor my point about uh, chasing Amy, but Kevin Smith has a very similar problem as well, which is a lot of static, a lot of locked off shots, and people just talking and just like mediums wides, medium wides. It's the writer director issue. You're like I am writing something, and then oh, direct what
1: like you know right? You're, you're just directing this dialogue. That's all you're. doing. There's just, also that's all they're doing
0: not to not to get into the weeds on on a production level, but part of it is also a cost issue, right? Which is When you're doing movement, it costs a lot more money in lighting and in time and in making sure that all... So, like, this is one of those things where a lot of independent films don't have a lot of movement of the camera because, quite frankly, it's time-consuming and it's, it's hard to do. So, they don't do it. But it makes for very flat filmmaking. It makes for movies that don't look very dynamic. And this film looks dynamic insofar as it's production design, it's costumes, it's lots of, like, really nice... I actually think Iraqi does extreme close-ups really well, lots of nice pops to various things that I think his editing is very strong. Like, all that stuff is there to create a little bit of energy, but to your point, Jan, it's all static. It's not... But do
1: you know what... So going back to, like, Totally Fucked Up, which came out in, like, 93 or 92, which is kind of, like, the first of his, like, indie flicks of the 90s... Sure, there was like a lot of use of like handheld camera and like the confessional mm-hmm. style, which, which sort of later in the nineties became a thing like reality bites came out after that, you know, and, uh, movies like, like American Beauty and all those movies that kind of had that confessional style. Like I, like a Rocky kind of like almost invented that. And maybe he adapted it from like the real world and MTV. And, and that was like very 92, 91 era. Yeah. But it's like I, I I feel like he kind of like established that as an aesthetic in filmmaking in the early nineties and then never kind of carried through. Like that could have been That's your totally thing, good. man.
0: <laughs> I I totally agree with you. It's it's like in a weird way, when this movie starts, uh, voiceover, breaking the fourth wall, blown out lighting, a guy with a barcode tattoo, like it all just right. feels so of a moment. Yeah. And, and and in a way that that almost, you know it's almost like he threw away all this really interesting stuff that felt like was kind of his own in order to make something that was surprisingly down the middle. You know, it's just, it's, it is interesting. I, I, this movie does feel like a weird time capsule though, in a way that like, I mean, we've talked, Kenny, obviously we've talked a lot about the romantic comedies of, of, of 1999, but like this, I have to say feels, I'd rather watch this than forces of nature. Right, I'd rather watch. Of that's so a bad movie. <laughs> um, but you know, what I'm, I'm just saying, like, just a, a totally generic rom com to me. At least this movie's got something, right? Like,
2: yeah, you know the the really interesting. What was the Twin City movie you were gonna say? Uh,
0: he didn't. Menace. Fenton Menace. He oh, said that's the me, one that makes him think of.
2: I, I thought. <laughs> I thought that it's was the amount of. No. why did you say Twin Cities? It,
1: no. I just meant, like, to me, like it felt like this, like, oh, the, a mirror movie. Oh, it felt I felt like... All right,
2: so I'm going to give you an actual Twin Cities movie. Okay. Um, that takes place in the Twin Cities. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know why.
1: I don't even know why that was my way of explaining my... No, yeah. no,
2: no, Because no. uh, I, I, honestly, I, I couldn't believe you were going to reference The Very Thought of You. But um, <laughs> The Very Thought of You yeah. is yeah. also a movie about a woman uh juggling multiple men. three men. Because in this movie, Kathleen Robertson juggles three men. Um she she's does. in a throuple with two of them and then a third comes in who can give her like a hint of normalcy, I guess. Uh the great Eric Mabius. Um, <laughs> so what, how do I know what do I know him from? He, he, was from once, him. he was once married to my cousin's cousin. That's how you know him. <laughs> gotcha so uh, so yeah. <laughs> yeah uh he's he maybe is i mean he was in cruel intentions he was the craigster in cruel intentions so oh, that's that, right that's right that's, that's right. probably that's right. that and then he's done a lot of tv but it was really that and he was also on the oc he was the mm-hmm. the bad yeah, okay. Uh, okay. teacher guy who kind of may have sexually abused taylor townsend um i love that show uh so uh the very thought of you is the straight down the middle? Uh, it's very terrible, but straight down the middle rom-com version of this. What's interesting about this movie, uh, and why I think I may like it just a little more than you guys, just a tad. Which is one you like? You like Splendor? Just a little more than you guys. I really wouldn't say I loved it, but I liked it just a little more because. All of these rom-coms, the majority of rom-coms, you know, almost ever, but uh, certainly before like 2015, um, are told from the male point of view with the male gaze, even when it's with a female lead, Um, even when you have a female, yeah, even with a female lead, the the edges are so rounded off and they're all, you know, editors at fashion magazines and they're all irrational and hysterical and all these terrible things. Uh, this movie, to me, plays like a pure female wish fulfillment fantasy. I moved to LA, and all of a sudden, three hot guys are uh, obsessed with me. Furthermore,
1: maybe Mulholland ha- Drive is the better Twin Cities movie than <laughs> of wish. You
2: got you got to watch Hollywood wish fulfillment. You have to watch. Thing. It actually is, uh, <laughs> but you have to watch Color of Night. Which Color what? of Night? is is mall holland drive meets the room it's unbelievable um but okay so uh more Razzie films um uh, uh, so so the, the the other thing that makes it so f- feminine gaze yeah. the other thing that makes it so unusual mm-hmm. is that when she breaks up with the two guys they don't move when these guys aren't right. on camera yeah. they aren't animate objects they are sitting at home together on a couch pining for her that's it waiting for her to come back which is by the way like a selfish narcissistic person's dream right yeah and i think that's really unusual to have this movie so firmly kind of implanted in the pov of the female character uh like the, the, the way it is um kenny you're making I, me
1: like this movie more that's an interesting perspective which i didn't really consider and i mean to me all those antics with the guys in the case i mean that was kind of just i thought the idea of of the um you know gauging up the screwball comedy aspect of it because right. there's you know all the wacky stuff that they kind of go through but the idea of the wish fulfillment of like her fantasy of these boys just waiting for her at home. It's actually brilliant. I mean, that that, that actually, that
2: makes sense, yeah. It is interesting. And, you know, in a studio movie, in a movie that didn't care so much about, like, look, she's half, not half, a lot of this movie is told direct to camera with with the way you guys are talking about confessional, but I like it with the, with the, with, you know, the light ring. And it's just like, like directly to camera, Kathleen Robertson telling you, Robertson telling you the story. She doesn't really know what's happening when she's not off screen. So a lot of this has to be projection and, and narcissistic, you know, wish fulfillment and all that stuff. Um, A worse movie Mm -hmm. would have those guys go out and start fucking,
3: you know, like that's
2: just what would happen in almost any other movie or, and I don't think this would have been that interesting either, by the way, would have to E2 mama Tom DM with the two of them. Right. right? right. And it just, it just <laughs> sure. feels like that's right. what you would have done. But I, yeah. I think the restraint that he shows reflects how strongly he identifies with his protagonist in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think in that respect, again, like that elevated a mostly flat, barely competent film to something higher for me, because I do think that this is, you know, an interesting subversion. And then just the last point in 99, I loved Cruel Intention as everybody knows, but uh, the lesbian kiss is an interesting cultural touch point, right? To have two high schoolers have a lesbian kiss really plays on this idea of in the nineties, lesbian or gay, but really lesbian pornography had just rushed the mainstream. This idea of this is what the bros love, right? right. Um, and to invert that, yep. have a threesome where it's the woman and two men, and it's not played as some kind of gay panic situation where God forbid our penises should touch in the middle of this, you know, threesome, which is really only there's a little bit of that, but like not a lot. And only yep. from one character, yep. right? Uh is kind of. It's bold. I like it. I'm impressed by it. Um, it's it's it, it makes this movie valuable, uh, and it would be more valuable if it was a, kind of a more thrilling I, film otherwise. But
0: first of all, I totally agree with everything you're saying, and I and I also just want to piggyback on it and say that I don't know how this film necessarily was delineated to the world um, in terms of. Whether or not it was used as a marketing ploy, the fact that it had a threesome, the fact that it had this sort of this thruple at the center of it, but the impression I get from the way Gregoraki directed it is that it's not a shtick, it's not a bit, like it's 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 not used as some sort of a gimmick. I think that he, you know what I mean, and I think that that's also something that's worth noting because I think at the time, I think that might very well have been uh, this is what like, I, this is weaponized. what I'm getting at. Yeah. This is
2: what I'm, This is exactly what I'm getting after you're hitting yeah. on it. A threesome with a man and two women in the 90s, in the 2000s, was highly marketable. Yeah. You would use that as a way to bring people into the audience at the possibility of, you know, woman-on-woman titillation. Sure. Um, it was not a, a threesome in this Correct. sense. One yes. woman and two men was yeah. not marketable then. No. It wasn't marketable in the aughts. It wasn't marketable in the teens. And I don't think it's marketable now. Right. <laughs> like, I, I, yeah. I, it's, it's, I still think, at least in America, there is so much latent, you know, homophobia and, and, and masculine issues, masculine issues about sexual identity. And I think that extends to a lot of women in this country too, with the way they look at men and, um, with the way they look at men and and masculine roles and all the shit we're seeing from women on the right. Um, I, I, I Can I also that,
0: just, I want to, just very, very quickly, it should be said just to highlight and underline what you're saying that Urban Dictionary, when a threesome is between two men and a woman, it's called the devil's three way, just for what it's worth. So I the think devil's that, that says way. something. There you go. The right, continue three-way. what you're saying. I, th- that's apologies. what I'm
2: saying. I, 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 I just don't think it's marketable that's really what it comes down to it is funny. Wait, it's funny what's interesting well just say one more thing it's interesting yeah, yeah, yeah. i i work you know the show i work on on it happens to be on stars um is a sexual show it's a dance show and we have gay characters in that show and we try we actively try to treat all sexual situations uh not the same in terms of their construction and what they mean but in terms of their effects on the marketing Sure. in terms of the way that they affect people coming in we don't try to we we, we i did, no one has ever said you know a a uh, lesbian relationship is less valid or less marketable less interesting than a relationship between two gay men we don't do that but I, but i i get the sense over and over again yeah that yeah. it is from people who are doing this stuff, people who are selling these shows. We have a lesbian couple on our show, zero pushback. Gay couples, there's some pushback. It just happens. It's just the way it still is. And we're at our most enlightened time ever. So.
1: What were you going to say on? Did you have something before? I think I was going to bring up the movie Threesome again. But it it, it, (laughs) was... Only to point out that it was, you know, yeah. the 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 whatever the marketing tactic, which I guess was just like a poster and a soundtrack, and that's also mm-hmm. what uh, threesome did with Laura Flynn Boyle, and I think it, was it, yeah, one yep. of the yep. Baldwin's and Josh Charles, right? Josh Charles, yeah. But it, I mean, it's an identical poster, the mm-hmm. well, basically the identical soundtrack. I mean, it, it, it's a weird rehash that this basically the same movie happened mm-hmm. t- twice, uh, and then a bunch of other different versions of it or whatever. But. Um, I did have a i i unrelated question. I was just thinking yeah. about what is what is a music supervisor's job in the film biz
0: Are you asking us i mean well, i can you know, only you speak guys from, are in the industry i, I can speak know. I can only speak from it on the television side as opposed to the feature side, but on the t v side i mean it's it's what you would expect i mean i I'll also say that it's changed relatively dramatically over the last i would say fifteen or twenty years insofar as that i don't know what uh, it was before
2: this so well i just mean back back in the in the
0: in the heyday if you will of music supervision which was probably you know your your josh schwartz shows to some degree or another where you could get big bands you could do soundtracks you could do all that stuff it was quite lucrative the problem is that the music business for all intents and purposes is kind of uh, they cost too much money now So most right. of the music supervision now Is bands no one's ever heard of um, yeah. Not that it's bad music But it just doesn't have the same punch That it used to I,
2: Right, but in response to your, your Question, Jan Because I've been on Almost every show I've been on Has been music heavy um, Where we've had really, really Great music supervisors And we've been able to use a lot of good music um, music supervisor's job is to take the budget and find out what songs you yeah. can fit into the show and where you do it. So it's basically they put the edit together, they say we're going to have a song here or, or a score. I mean like it's you don't know. It, like they work with the with the um they work with the composer uh but um but you we're going to have some piece of music here and generally, you know, in the mix or before the mix you're given several options. They play the song along with the visuals. And, you know, usually the showrunner picks what they want. The, what, what well, they think or or in this
1: case, Gregor Rocky, too, which obviously he had like, the you know, the, he has such a clear taste in, in music that appears in all these movies. But I was also curious, I looked up this music supervisor that he sort of seems to work with a lot, uh, this guy Howard Parr. Uh, who's like an English guy, uh, but moved to LA in like the like, I think like 1977. I mean, it, this this music, I just look so, so curious and started reading up on this guy who like back in like, I think 1979 or 1980 opened a club in like Silver Lake, was booking bands like The Clash and like was kind of opening the doors to like Brit music in... Um, in uh, LA at the time. And, uh, I mean, there's, there's certainly some like weird crossover with this guy, Howard Parr, who's the music supervisor of this movie and sort of Gregor Rocky's yeah. musical taste. Um, uh, you know, this guy did like Big Lebowski, uh, Dogtown, and Z Boys, okay. Party Monster, like yeah. movies that are like you would think music is a big part of the, of, of those movies. So I was just curious because knowing that Greg Araki obviously has such a big role in in choosing the music in, in a movie like this, I, I wonder what the role of like Howard Parr is. Right. And is it like, is it securing so, the rights to that music or say, is it also like of, choosing some of that, that it's as yeah. well? That's
2: you know? some of it, but I, I'd say this I, I the way we're able. Uh, to talk about movies You know Go back hundreds of years and, and go into You know Every genre And even if we don't know it Know of it And kind of have a sense You have to have that kind of breath With a music supervisor um, For so many reasons But uh, For like Entourage is a good example Because right. What we had You know Sky high budget There was almost nothing We couldn't get The only reason we couldn't get something Is if the artist said No, no under no circumstances But the money wasn't really an object So our music supervisors had the entire history of music, of recorded music to go from, which is oh yeah, oh yeah. You go to Jane's Addiction, obviously. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, so that is one kind of music supervisor, um, which you know I think seems like it's kind of the easy version. The harder version is the is the. give me something that sounds like Jane's addiction, but isn't Jane's addiction, but isn't going to feel like a Jane's addiction. Isn't going to feel like a Jane's (laughs) addiction knockoff. And isn't going to be embarrassing. You know, give me something that like Mm -hmm. is also cool. So that's more, I think Phil, what you're saying is like, that's more where we are now. Um, You know, like sometimes you can pull in one big song, an episode or a couple big songs a season, but on the show that I'm on now on Step Up, you know, we're we're very rap heavy, um, hip hop heavy. And it's mostly Atlanta musicians that nobody knows. And then we have Neo on our show. So Neo will write like four show, songs for us. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's it. It's it's, it's it's changed a lot now. It, but you still have to have that incredible breadth of knowledge. You still have to have like, yeah. wouldn't it be great if we put, you know, this random ass fucking television song here um, and... and but you can't get it, and you need something really fucking specific. Wait, so
1: it's, is, is that why a movie like this might not exist on like it's like, why would Netflix want to pay for this movie that nobody really wants to watch? But especially because it has such a heavy soundtrack, like, does that make it more expensive for a streaming platform to carry a movie like this, or does that not how it works? I I, I know with the whole uh, Dawson's Creek thing that you guys have discussed, where you know <laughs> they, they swapped out the soundtrack for that as soon as it appeared online. But how does that work for a movie like this?
0: I don't. I actually don't know the answer when it comes to features. I, yeah, can, I don't know. I, even... I mean, I, I th- my assumption is that it does play into it to some degree or another. Um, I mean, I know that some movies, I mean, Kenny and I were just texting about this the other night because of the Razzies, but like showgirls is nowhere to be found either. Um, I mean, you, it's not streaming anywhere. You can't rent it. You can't buy it. So, you know, I don't know why that happens. I don't know if it's a music rights thing. Generally speaking, it's if there's multiple producers involved and they can't all get on the same page as to how Mm -hmm. much, they're getting paid for it. Sure. But but I also wanted to just um to, to Kenny's uh point just now about the, the television music supervision. I mean, when I was on station nineteen, you know, Grey's Anatomy was a huge that was a big soundtrack show. I mean oh, yeah, there were some... big artists on they, they even like put out a soundtrack for that They show, put out several soundtracks, several volumes. Yeah. Um that was, I would argue, kind is that of the last still on, by the way. Yes, Grey's Anatomy or Station oh. 19? So yeah, Grey's both... Anatomy is still a show. Yes, yes, yes. Season 17. So I, 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 that was the last show that I can think of, and Kenny, forgive me if you can think of another one, that felt like you still had big artists, you were still putting out soundtracks, and this was kind of the last gasp of that thing. Because I can tell you that on Station 19, there was never an artist I had ever heard of before. Um, on every episode that I had written, or every episode that I was involved with, it was exactly what Kenny was saying, which is, we know what we want this to feel like, so go find us an artist that will pull at heartstrings or will, you know, whatever.
2: It's interesting. I, I I almost want to kind of run through my career because the five sh- big shows, big shows, the five shows I've worked on yeah, uh, have almost been a, a trip through the last 15 years of, of music use, like, and I'm going to. I'm going to run through it. go. So <laughs> yeah. it's It's interesting the way it's just changed and just subtly because you know on entourage it was you could write in the script i want to put seven nation army and we'd get seven nation army so there were things like that uh and that was different and then uh, i worked on a show called the hustle which was on fuse and it was a rap show where we had a lot of um a lot of original music but also no no problem getting big fucking rap songs in that on that show, either. Yep. Right? Like, that yep. wasn't an issue. Now, from the next show I was on, which was Hindsight, which was on VH1, I have wait, a Wait, sense... let me
1: pause you. Can I let a quick pause? I do want to, because you have now Jack White, instead of licensing Seven Nation Army, which of course he is, uh, is writing original music for a video game, right? So, like, now they get their <laughs> right. own. Je- so, video, I mean, video games, is a whole other category, because it seems like there's a lot more money running through those uh, corridors. But yeah. Go on. Number two. Yeah.
2: Uh, so, the, the, well, just the, the Hustle, my sense is it was similar to The Deal, which I wasn't very involved with Post on The Hustle at all. So I don't really know what went down there. But on Hindsight, which was on VH1, I know that we had almost unlimited access to the music libraries of Universal and someone else. And it was a 90-set show. And any fucking 90-show a song we wanted, we pretty much could get on there.
1: What what year was uh, this when you are This what, was
2: when? this was 2013 2014, 2014 2015 something like mm-hmm. that. I don't think those deals are made anymore. I don't the deal I'm talking about where you got these blanket rights to like the the catalog where it was like straight up you want to put a U2 song in here? Here's a U2 song. You want to put a Red Hot Chili Pepper song? Here's a Red Hot Chili Pepper song. We wrote in that thing uh we wrote in some of the breakfast Tiffany's Tiff- Tiffany's here it is. Like there's just things like that where we we would write music into the script and we would get it without much of a tr- much of a problem
0: well i would also i would also say too like for for the sleepy hollow pilot it's specifically we were told these are the songs that are available within at the yeah. time the 20th library so these songs will not cost us any money pick yeah. one of these songs
2: and yeah that, that sort of that's that's kind of what seemed to happen with hindsight to, to some yep. extent there were certainly ones that were, were x'd out yep. but uh and then on
1: seven. on is this something to do with, like, network TV versus, like, like I, I have not watched the new Wonder Years, but I know that the old Wonder Years, obviously, music was such a big part of that show, and I know that that was, like, a big issue with having that show come back uh, yep. it, to even, like, have reruns air. I wonder, is the new Wonder Years taking music as seriously i mean they must. how do you they must how do you have be. a nostalgic they show without having the music of they, that area they
2: must yeah. be and i think uh and i don't worry about the G shows the other the, the <laughs> I, we're taking the, a little gaps in between no, it's not that oh, he's he's, yeah. because because at sun records <laughs> we 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 it was all johnny cash and elvis and we also had access to that like right, it was right. just like it wasn't hard to get that stuff either, and all the all the all this, the the Memphis stuff and the Chess Records stuff that we, like we just got whatever we wanted. This was only like four years ago, five years ago, and it's only now that it starts to feel like don't you're not going to get the music you want.
0: Well, this is it's Jewish. funny. It, it's funny you bring that up, Kenny, because I do feel like because I there was a I had a meeting uh, a little while ago with a with a production company with with Imagine because they want to do a show about uh, perhaps about Atlantic Records. Because they have the rights to Atlantic Records music. So it's like now we've we're retrofitting. Now we're going backwards. Now we're like, well, I've got access to this pile of music. So how do I make a show about that pile of music? Which is just like insane. But that's but like I horror. do
2: think I, I do think that there's still a world where a show, I this is just guessing, I haven't seen it, but a show like The Wonder Wonder Years, that's built yeah. in yeah. to the budget going into it. We are going to need a million dollars an episode to secure the rights to this music. I'd also say the music rights that they're securing, which I think is like 80s music primarily, mm-hmm. not the same. It's not the same as like the Forest Gump soundtrack, which is pulling, you know, the biggest fucking 40 songs ever made. The fucking
0: humorous soundtrack that's ever been.
2: There is something about <laughs> 80s music where I think those artists uh, will take their $10,000 for, for the use and sure, be very happy sure. with it. So yeah. uh, and I think that might have been true for the 90s to some extent uh, if you're not going for the giant people. I, I mean,
0: I, you're asking an interesting question, John, because I do feel like, you know, Kenny and I, over the course of this, you know, of the many episodes we've done on 1999, we've talked a fair amount about music, about needle drops, about the various things that exist in these movies, and they really do... I mean, it, it's they plant a flag really deep. It's why people were so obsessed with, you know, Paula Cole not being at the top of Dawson's Creek. I mean, it, it's like the nostalgia can't really fully form until you have these these music, these needle drops. And I would also say, too, Kenny and I have talked about this a lot, but, you know, score and music, maybe more so than any other part of a film, tells the audience how to feel. And if you watch something without score, you'd be surprised how discombobulating and disconnected you feel from it. And I think that that's why it's just so important. I, I, I feel like this movie, if you didn't have these various artists playing in the background, despite the fact that they go by very quickly and maybe they don't make as much of an impact as they could, I still think they're incredibly important.
1: It, it is funny because that uh, the follow-up Iraqi pilot that is on um, YouTube <laughs> that <laughs> yes. I recommend, Why well, it's just like a weird, funny thing but it was like an MTV produced thing in which apparently the budget was slashed and he got to do what he wanted and the show didn't get green lit. Uh, But music played such an important role in that too. And I, I, in the opening credits it said like you know featuring the music of and then all these like bands like sure. garbage yeah. smashing pumpkins and they're huge bands of the time you yeah. know just, uh, chemical brothers whatever radiohead all sort of flashed by the screen really quickly um and there's you know and this is when a channel like mtv would create a show as still a vehicle to push music not the other way around right. you know right. like right. not or not just like a music station just like you know music was still part of the conversation
0: and now it's sort of, it's too expensive or it's whatever else, you know? No, a hundred percent. It's, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, Kenny, but I'm interested to hear uh, MTV feels like one of the biggest wasted opportunities that exists on television right now. If you ask me, like I, I don't understand how they let scripted television kind of slip through their fingers. I think that they've somehow, there's this enormous Cultural impact that that network made on our adolescence, and and it's completely it doesn't it doesn't exist. I mean, there's nothing on that network that anyone watches down here that I can think of, really. And you know, it's it's part of Paramount Plus now, sort of some of it. It's just I'm just I'm I'm baffled by why it how that happened. It just seems insane to me.
2: Every I mean, I, I this is
0: my best guess is.
2: It's it's such an uphill battle for basic cable now to be relevant. Yes. I, like, I, yeah, like I couldn't ever conceive my kids putting on MTV. Ever. But I couldn't conceive I couldn't conceive them putting on ABC. I couldn't conceive them right. like we watch Survivor, which I love, and uh, and there was a um, there are always ads for the new show Ghosts, and my kids are like, that looks like a good show. That looks good, like good show, and they have no idea how to watch it. <laughs> they have no idea how to access the show. <laughs> They're like, <laughs> right. how would we even get there? How would we even get right. to it? So mm. that's like, uh, you think, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that is so, uh, that anecdote uh, speaks to just how yeah. fucked this whole <laughs> industry is. If my nine-year-old yeah. children who know how to get to every fucking corner and crevice of the internet yeah. have no idea how to Watch a fucking giant CBS show, yeah.
0: It's it's. I mean, you're you're. It's absolutely the perfect anecdote to what I'm speaking of, and and it speaks to just sort of. I I mean, the 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 generational chasm that exists right now is pretty shocking when it comes to content, to some degree or another, or at least how they how they watch stuff. But I do feel like you know, Jan and I watched this pilot from the from from the year two thousand. That's obviously you know twenty one years ago. I couldn't. You you speak of I, you know, can't imagine my kids watching, you know, something on MTV. I can't believe that MTV is as irrelevant as it is. Like I can't believe that this thing that felt like a bearing wall of culture has somehow become, you know,
2: they missed the boat. They're 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 blockbuster, dude. That's just what it comes down to. They missed Tank the country. boat. They had they yeah. and I can't blame anybody because we saw it coming, but they had the opportunity. Yeah six, seven, eight years ago to frankly do what WWE did and start their own online network yeah. and and start to start to see this world of people who are accessing MTV.com yeah. instead yeah. of looking for them on the radio on the television, which no one does. Yeah. And at this point, they're done. They're irrelevant. Just like Blockbuster yeah. missed the fucking, mm-hmm. you know, DVDs by mail. And and yeah. and and within five years we're done and irrelevant. So I, I don't think it's so much a issue about mtv's programming yeah. which it might be but like i don't think it's about their programming really i just think they 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 exist in this fucking wasteland that no one accesses anymore
0: i also just want to say one other quick thing which i agree with what you're saying but i also feel like there is something that connects all the things we're talking about here and that company is viacom uh mm-hmm. and that that is a company that Really missed the boat when it comes to the technological advancements of the other studios. CBS was so behind the eight ball when it came to, you know, creating CBS All Access, creating now Paramount Plus, getting into the streaming world. They've just been incredibly slow. And I think, unfortunately, MTV was purchased by an older company that got, it kind of got swallowed by this kind of ancient. Uh, headspace if you will so all this being said uh to, to wrap up splendor i do want to very quickly talk about the end of this movie um which is that the uh, exactly <laughs> yeah exactly uh basically veronica is pregnant she decides she's going to marry the the guy who's stable the guy who can provide for her and, and her children or child at the time we thought it's one it turns out spoiler there's two um twins but, twins um you don't know anything about that right kenny
2: I know everything about it. I watched cocktail. <laughs> what? Uh,
0: anyway. Um, so Abel and Zed are, you know, sitting on the couch and they decide, fuck it. We're going to, we're going to chase after her and we're going to stop this wedding from happening because we love her and we, whatever. So they run to this wedding. Very fucking, they, they literally scream on the top of a fucking balcony. Uh, very much like obviously the graduate. They both Jump off of this balcony into the pool. But yeah. To
2: do this after Wayne's World 2. (laughs) <laughs> Guys, it's over
1: <laughs> like, so, so I feel so like, I feel so like Wayne's World 2 is probably how I like I probably saw that before I saw The Graduate <laughs> I did, so, I did So I think I, I you know, retroactively went back And watched uh, the, the Graduate thinking of
2: why It was ripping up Wayne's World yeah. well, I, I remember watching it in the theaters with my parents And being like, they're doing The Graduate and I'm like, what are cool. you talking about? This is an important moment in this movie it's like, This is a groundbreaking scene I've never seen it like Shut up mom, yes. shut up dad Yeah but, oh, someone- is this not our first movie that did this? Did it? Didn't the did the other sister do this?
0: Yes, the other sister <laughs> did this as well. <laughs>
1: So there's also like one person, an actor credited as Mike's stupid boss in this movie. And it's funny because you can find it's like a 10 second clip online as a cameo from this actor. But then I kind of like I was texting film, like I don't think this would have been a cameo. It was Adam Carolla no. was in this
2: movie. Oh yeah. yeah. I
1: don't think Adam Carolla had any status in 1999. I think that <laughs> was, was just like a good guy.
2: Which I, I, I believe
1: I, I, man he, show also started in 99, which, is, thinking oh. back then, imagine like in '99, oh. telling yourself that Jimmy Kimmel was going to become like one of the most successful talk show hosts, <laughs> and,
4: <laughs> and and profound. like
2: I, I would like one of the Carolla most progressive and woke talk yeah, show hosts. Is that true? Like, are you is, you say, ask me. Is it true?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. if you're being facetious.
2: Oh no, I'm being 100 percent facetious. He would have like he would have public <laughs> you would have public fights with Trump, oh, yeah. like so <laughs> no, right. he and 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 then it came out and they, they you know it didn't come out but people started throwing the man show
0: clips and they're like no yeah. dude you're you are you are a misogynist he's like I right. was a misogynist yeah, yeah right
2: but uh, Kenny you know, do we have wild. to do an
0: episode on the man show? I, I was like just looking might. it up I was
2: I was hoping to God it didn't start it, it was it did. 99. Yeah, June sixteenth, ninety
0: nine. I think we might have to do uh, the, Fuck, the pilot do the Oprah with
2: <laughs> Who are we gonna do the man show with?
1: Who is gonna come? What
0: we'll find someone for the man show. Look at know. this,
1: Adam Carolla. Cross. I bet you Adam Carolla is as relevant now as he was in '99. So maybe he can do the uh, man show. By the way, we could get Adam
2: Carolla. I feel like no, no, we couldn't? no. Do oh, we I want not Adam saying, I'm not saying we could, but he is. He is not the most woke, progressive. <laughs> talk to hosts in America.
0: So anyway, the end of this movie, uh, they race there, they jump in a pool, they tell tell, uh, Veronica that that they love her. She decides to end up with them. She has twins credits. And
1: that whole end scene I just feel like it could have been written for a like, I think they're trying to get a good laugh out of it. And it's just like, it was so badly written. It's the off. guy they're like, what are these guys doing here? Like, it was just like, it does seem like there was uh, maybe about like halfway through the movie that I don't know if the writing, directing, everything it just, they, he kind of just gave up, you know, it's kind of fun. 100%. The beginning of the movie builds and you're kind of you're getting into it. The end of the movie, you're just waiting for the movie to end because I, well, I, I'm
2: person. impressed he resisted the urge to have one have, you know, dark hair and the like a full head of <laughs> yeah, dark yeah, hair yeah. and the other have a full head <laughs> of bleach blonde. One hair. with frosted tips. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I also think, too, I couldn't find the budget for this film online for whatever reason. This movie also really feels like it gets real. The budget for this fucking finale, man, of like this wedding that. You, there's nary a wide shot You can't really yeah. tell what the fuck you're they, even looking at Like they but. couldn't
1: even cast extras Because I think you only see like three people at a yeah, wedding Yeah, it's crazy. like
0: really tight shots There's no like yeah. establishing yeah. shot of that You can't wedding. see anything
2: That scene is a disaster, I totally agree I, What I like about this film in so many aspects Is just yeah. how uh, sparse it is You know, yes, like right, I, yeah. I think that it does feel very staged It almost feels like they built this shit out in a warehouse uh, with just manage. what you need, oh, <laughs> almost, almost like, <laughs> almost like fucking. Uh, what's the Lars von Trier movie with Nicole Kidman?
0: Oh my God, Dogville.
2: <laughs> almost like Dogville, where it just felt like there's just these sets oh, hanging down. And in of a yes, exactly. We're very close to that in this film. And any time they go outside of that and they try to build out a little, you know, a little yeah. world, it can't help but feel like you know, you see, you see where there isn't a budget, like less of a choice yeah. and more like you know something. Yeah. Brought upon
0: them. Uh, let's let's rank this movie because I, I want to talk to Jan about what we're doing next week. Uh, so I I had not seen this film in ninety nine. We're doing before no and thing. after rankings. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So okay. I, I I have. I have a vague recollection, and forgive me because, Kenny, I know I've said this a lot. I have a vague recollection of seeing this in a video store I worked at. So, like, I'm sure I saw bits and pieces of this movie, but didn't sit down to actually watch it until yesterday. Um, I didn't hate this movie by any means. Um, I I would give this movie, like, a 59 coming into this podcast. Like, I I think it's... It's got some good stuff. It's got some good performances. I think what we were talking about thematically, I think it has something to say, which most romantic comedies don't really. Um, and I appreciate what Kenny was talking about in terms of how gender roles were, were handled in a, in a pretty uh, nuanced way. So I'm, I'm going to stick at 59. I feel pretty good about that number. But uh, what about you, Kenny?
2: Um, I You know, Phil, we're, we're often so close on these things. Uh, what did I, I sorry, I didn't even have this up this, You I wrote down your number. This is impressive. I do. I wrote down my number. Uh I gave it a fifty-six. There you go. Uh, and the reason I'm kind of, you know, surprised, Phil, that we're so close is I, I feel like the fifties are our most neglected mm-hmm. series of tens um in this podcast. Cause there is something interesting about a a, a movie you would give yeah. uh fifty to fifty nine. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's below I, fifty unwatchable.
0: Is that or where, still, where does unwatchable start? The fifty line is where we say like Good recommend question. or not recommend is what we kind of say.
2: Unwatchable is like for me, it's below twenty.
0: Yeah, uh, but and then not, below ten I, is watchable again, right?
2: Yeah, below 10. By, below 10 is you, you gotta see this shit. <laughs> uh, I'd say like I'd say like twenty twenty to fifty are varying degrees of like uh, I did not like this. Yeah. Um, you yes. know, twenty twenty to thirty is probably the it may be bad. Thirty to fifty would be like it just isn't really working. Thirty to forty would be it's not working. Forty to fifty, it's not working for me.
0: Yeah. Um you and, have a fair amount in the 40s. I feel like the forties are where you is where you kind of sit I when drop, you're like
2: yeah. well, because they're like because I, you know, look, I I I understand that my tastes don't necessarily align sure. with the tastes of, you know. Film critics or modern film criticism At large so I like to Kind of put things in the 40s if I want to make like This isn't really working for me it's not really Necessarily a bad film but it's just not really working For me uh, this is almost the opposite This is yeah. like this is not a great Film but it's working for me so uh, I think like you know I, I I could see the 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 Quiet ambition and I'm happy I saw it and I definitely Like you know I didn't end this movie thinking this was a, This was a bad film I thought I This agree. was you know he wasn't shooting for the stars but um but you know this was a worthwhile endeavor so 50 i, I, I gave it a 56 i'm going to go to a 59 with you phil cuz i think uh, i think 59 is what i feel
1: Jan? guys i like i like 59 i like i like <laughs> it, i feel like i i don't remember having ever seen this movie i'm sure i did like maybe phil said But I was, I I found myself, I was like, I wanted this movie to be good. I I certainly wanted it to be better, but I was kind of like, I was like cheering on for the, I'm I'm like, okay, like I'm making a list. I'm like, okay, Kathleen Robertson's really endearing. I like some of the musical cues. I like some of the weird, like 99 set pieces. I like the nostalgia of it now. Uh, You know, I I, I was certainly going out of my way to like find the things that I would like, I kind of enjoyed as I was watching it. However after the sort of like 60% point of the movie, it just, it just became so boring because it's just like, you just mm-hmm. knew everything that was about to happen yeah. and, yeah. and it just wasn't done in a interesting way. So, you know, it, it really just kind of falls off there, but the, the it, going into it, it's like a, it's a nice
0: little time capsule movie. So what's your, are you in the 50, are you 59 with us? As oh well, yeah. So I'll, let's go
1: with 59.
0: Let's, let's be, okay. let's be, uh, Yeah. Let's so, be a threesome
1: so, about this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so next week, Jan, we uh, we are doing New Waterford Girl with uh, oh, yeah. uh, uh, yes. So, uh, Kenny and I did an episode where we watched the film and we we you know talked about the film actually, and then we did an interview with uh, Leanne and Tara uh, to talk about you know the making of the film and what it was you know, Tara like. Tara actually lives down the street from me in Toronto. That's really funny. Wow, that's, that's and really actually, funny.
1: I used to live. This is weirder. I used to live in a house with her she was like in the below apartment and i was the upstairs <laughs> that's, apartment that's and that's amazing and she's still and every time i see her i have to reintroduce myself like she's no <laughs> idea what i have, I have always like speak oh, my, for my good friend leanne was in a movie with you we literally yeah. used to live in the same house yeah. she's like oh hey
0: and i'm like oh fuck actors man
1: yeah. but, but want like, <laughs> so you guys are doing new water for girls so you we taped did, it, it hasn't we Airbnb. already taped it
0: Yes it has not aired yet uh it will air after after this episode um i, I the reason I wanted to talk with you about it is obviously yep. you know we were very cl- we are very close friends with leanne yep. um and i'm curious do you like i'm sure have you watched the film since ninety nine i i know we all went to see it when she was in it but i have i think, I've, I think do you have it's a recollection on, like, of it at
1: all it's it has been on t v uh Mm. Uh, I, I think i've just sort of seen in past i mean i own it i own it so i've, I've certainly watched it after the fact uh i think i think that movie has aged tremendously well uh Ooh, i think a great movie is this not we, is this not where, no 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 uh, we
2: we I, I think that
1: kenny and i both is.
0: Yeah, we would say both both of us really liked everything except for the uh, predatory teacher trying to have sex with his students. Oh, right. Uh, McCarthy. What's his name? Uh, yeah.
3: Andrew,
0: Andrew McCarthy? McCarthy? Andrew McCarthy. Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: We would say <laughs> everything Juno else is... There, yeah.
0: I totally forgot sure, about yeah. him
1: even being in the movie, actually. So that's that's yeah. Fine, yeah.
0: But everything else about it, I think Kenny and I really liked. Um, and we have a really... I thought we had a really great conversation with Leanne and, yeah. and Tara about that notion and and what that sort of says about that time and how we've sort of maybe learned something about it but maybe not as much as we'd like like i still think that you know kenny and okay. I so when about i said still- that it aged really well i think i've seen it probably like 10 years ago so maybe i do need no, no, to rewatch watch no. it that again. wasn't a judgment no, uh, it's no, really no. like i think 90 percent of the it film is, is solid from a film yeah. Yeah. from yeah. a
2: filmmaking perspective it absolutely has and I, most uh, of the content has too i i I, I I think, you, you know, not a lot of people know it, but it is on the kind of leading edge of a lot of these, you know, female paramount films yes, female oh, param sure. indie movies that happened in the 2000s and later. And I think that that's kind of why it's good. But. Well, I really look forward yeah.
1: to it. So actually, I, I got to bring Leanne into Splendor now because <laughs> it was with Leanne and I, we co-hosted this radio show together. So we would have received, like we did receive uh, CDs uh, together uh, because they were sent to a studio addressed to our show. And so we often would sort of fight over who got to keep what or whatever. So <laughs> I don't think Leanne particularly wanted the splendor soundtrack so i got i do own the splendor soundtrack because it did uh so it just says something about her musical taste but uh (laughs) i do recall on our show we definitely together played uh, a couple of tracks from that album she i mean
0: she they were both absolutely lovely in the interview that we did with them it was a great interview it's a really interesting movie i think that we uh I know that I was excited to rewatch it. I have not seen it since 99 probably. Um and it was just really nice to 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 talk with Leanne about like I just I mean, Jan, obviously you remember her auditioning and her trying to get this role and 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 how crazy and cool it felt for her to get this thing and and um yeah it was just you guys was, should have had really alan fun. moyle on the show that guy's <laughs> that guy's fun yeah he's yeah i'm sure he would have had lots to say um but more than anything jan we want to thank you not just for being here but for everything you do for our podcast i mean the theme songs and the artwork and all this stuff it it just would not be the same without you and, and we're, we're so thankful to have you on finally both of us together to talk about a movie
1: I know. Thank you, guys. This has been a real <laughs> honor. No, no, I mean, I know in, in that uh, that we finally get to be together is what yes. I meant as, as yes. a threesome. Yeah, but uh, uh, no, it's been. I, I've
2: been waiting for this day for four years. I
1: have too. Have you guys been doing this for four years? Yep. I bet. I bet we're. How are there still movies from '99? Years.
0: What? This might what, be uh, close to our exact four years. It was November. Yeah, I think of, It was November. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was November. Uh, how of are it
2: still moving? Because it was, you know, it was the height of studio output, and it was also yeah. the height of indie output. Yeah. And I then feel there like, was like, this
1: was not on your list. I feel like I brought this, this to your was all, attention. No, this was on the list. No, it's on the list. Okay. It's all on the list.
2: And and yeah. you know the other thing that like we've noticed is this is you know there even like small things like it, all right so big studio output big indie output. There used to be one family film a year. There are like six or seven yeah, this year. There used to be maybe one or two relevant documentaries every decade. There are like yeah. 10 this yeah. year. There are like yeah. big indie – there are big uh uh foreign films just like that still have a cultural impact. It's like we got yeah. lucky and, you know, in, in some respects, like – I wonder if we would have found all these gems in every year, but like, I know there's no year other year that has toy story two and iron giant and store little and, uh, (laughs) And, wait, wait, there are more. End Stuart little end. <laughs> uh, fucking this uh, is a weird list right now. Uh, What's the? <laughs> yes, I, I'm trying to do all the kids' films that came out this year. Tarzan and Doug the movie and Tarzan and yeah. Phantom Menace and, and the, the and the Kurosawa, Kira- Kira- not yeah. Kurosawa. Yeah. Wait, with the, uh, yeah,
0: the, the and okay. and then Miyazaki,
2: yeah, yeah Miyazaki film, and it's just. There's so and which isn't really a kids' film, but still there's a real, so many real like,
1: stretch here, Kenny, with uh, your kids lives.
0: I mean <laughs> okay animated no, kids, no, kids' movies, you know. But even animated yeah, films. Princess Mononoke like, is a great movie.
2: It, it's a it's an animated film, yeah. not really a kids film. And so yeah. is South Park, which is an animated film, yeah. not really a kids oh, film yeah. that you don't get in any other year. Yeah. So it's just it's crazy. Like the just the the amount of of stuff is just crazy. And yeah. you know, to some of my favorite films of this year are films I'd never even heard of and i don't yeah, know we've
0: I, I think that you know i was talking to a friend about this the the other day actually kenny about how you know i've been exposed and seen movies now through this podcast that i definitely wouldn't have seen otherwise um, and it's been just it's actually been a real gift in terms of just seeing all these weird nooks and crannies that exist within this year um, so I'm, i mean I, it's it's been a thrill and and also just you know reappraising movies and 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 you know we talked about Girl on the Bridge, Kenny, which is a movie that, like, you know, hard to find, but like, easily one of our favorite films of the year. Like, just really, mm-hmm. really great stuff. And you know, Splendor is another one where you're like, yeah, you gotta fucking watch it on movie or YouTube or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's 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 great. And and uh, I gotta get in
1: on the '89, and I've already pitched you on how to get Ahead in
0: advertising. Yes, we, we're, we're e. gonna have Classic. you on. I, I'm, I'm gonna be you Kenny on that, about it. You'll be on yeah, for how well, to get Ahead in. Advertising.
2: I was I was not super into it until <laughs> he was not. I watched. Until I watched already watched it. it. Until I watch Hudson Hawk, and I'll I'll go anywhere with Richard D. Grant. But <laughs> all right, well, we also have to do with
1: Nell and I before we oh my, in context. Not, you got
2: it. I, I need to do with I need to do with Nell and I in general. Like I, it's, I mean,
0: it's been on my
2: night. list of movies to watch. But you for, can't watch for how years to get years years ahead without
0: with Nell. Anyway, this this is uh, we'll, we're we're going to do it, and we've talked about having Leanne on as well. So you and Leanne for how to get ahead in advertising. Is she was in a movie with Richard D. Grant.
1: She was. Yeah, it was like a CBC, like, made-for-TV movie. Sweet. I got to meet Richard E. Grant. He's like, my hero It's like, fascinated. Um, all right. This has been great. <laughs> we, we have <laughs> this is
4: completely a, this is gone off the cut, rails. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but uh, thank you so much again for coming on, John, and, and we can't wait to have you back. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye, John. Oh, guys, cue the, yes. cue the theme song. It's about to happen. <laughs> Please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like its. We're also on Twitter at podcast like its 1999. We're also on Instagram at podcast like its 1999. Uh, thank you so much to Ernie and Will for producing our episodes, Sullivan for our social media, Jan Katas for our amazing art and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening.